What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua Stein from the J. Stein Law Firm in Atlanta, Georgia, and welcome to the next episode of Sports and Torts, where each week we sit down with our peers, colleagues, and friends and discuss sports, law, and business. I think this podcast has been so successful because my peer group and my friends and my colleagues are so great. But I've got to say, I've got a pretty awesome family too, and so I want to start having a few of them on the show. Today, we have my first cousin. He's my friend. He is an opinionated Atlanta sports fan. At Twitter, you will find him at The Real Schloss. He is none other than the people's champion, Mr. Jared Schlosser. Buddy, welcome. Dude, what an honor to be here. Finally. We, we've been talking about doing this for a while, right? I mean, you've been a huge supporter from day one. I've always appreciated that. And I'm just so happy to have you here. It's just too much jealousy watching 19 other people walk in here and me not be a part of it. And now I finally made it to the main event. Your number two day main event. Uh, ben will be coming up soon. My dad will be coming up soon. Um, we'll get we'll get Neil in here. We'll get your dad. It'll be awesome. Shout out Peppa. You know, I do love you saying main, main event because you're a wrestling guy. You've always been a wrestling guy. It's true. You call yourself the people's champ. Is that a nod to to wrestling? I, I grew up on it, so I, I, I find it fascinating pre-2000. I don't want to be any associated with anything after the year 2000, um, but I, I, I loved it as a kid, and I think it's, you know, it's part of my personality to be over the top like they are. 80s and 90s wrestling is the best. Um, I've, got, I've got about five to seven minutes planned <laughs> for the end to talk about some wrestling, um, but, you know, Looking forward to that. But look forward to all this. You're a very interesting guy. Uh, like I said, your, your opinions on Atlanta sports are are legendary. But your professional life is really interesting too. So we're going to talk talk a lot about that. Talk a lot about that. Um, we're here in my basement. We're together. Uh, my friends over at the wine shop and East Cobb have provided us with some uh, with some some drinks, some some bottles of bourbon that commemorate our national champion. Georgia Bulldogs. Um, so we're having a good time. It's amazing. I mean, I've got a bourbon. I've got a microphone. Who? What What else does a man need in life? Nothing. You, nothing else. But tell everybody who doesn't know you. Uh, like I said, we're family. Our moms are twin sisters. We grew up together. But but give a little about your background and who you are. So, yeah, Josh is my cousin, but really he's more like my brother because our moms are twins. I grew up idolizing him. He had 13 home runs in Bronco. In 1989, 1990. I, I peaked as a Bronco baseball player, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, I grew up watching you, and, and then I got into baseball, and, and, and you know, now I'm getting into podcasting with you. You, should, um, you have your own podcast. You do great with it. But no, uh, you know, I got a, a wife and two kids, and we live in Sandy Springs, and um, I work for a company called Stonehill based uh, in Atlanta which is a subsidiary of Peachtree Hotel Group, which is now the third largest private equity firm in Atlanta um, and growing every day. Um, and that's all I do is change diapers and work. Yeah, I'm really proud of what you, you know, your family's awesome. Your work, your work career is awesome. Really, really proud of you. Uh, you were at Georgia a couple years after me, but we would go up there and be able to visit you in Athens. Um, you graduated 07. 07. So Best 07. time to ever graduate with a real estate degree. About to say that's tough. That was in the middle of the what the, the great recession they called it uh you're in real estate did you always want to be in real estate i didn't um i think you know back in the day i i had you know 
pretty outgoing personality. And somebody said, well, if you're going to sell something, sell real estate, because those guys make a lot of money. And that was in like 2005. Um, so I graduated in 2007 and the lights went out, you know, months after I graduated, uh, which was uh, pretty entertaining. And, uh, you know, most people would look at that as a negative, but um, I saw everything bad that could possibly happen in real estate. And it really shaped my career today where, you know, there's always headwinds coming in every different direction. And with that presents opportunity. And, you know, that's what our company is basically based off of is, you know, trying to attack, you know, market conditions and create opportunities. And I will say, I'll give you a compliment because um, you never really whined about the atmosphere environment that you were kind of thrusted into. Um, I thought that you were very deliberate about finding the right job and then moving from one job to the other when the opportunity presented itself, right? Like we talked all the time about job opportunities that would come up to you and, um, you know, and, and why you should choose one path over the other. So talk about a couple of things. Talk about kind of the decision making that you had going from one job to the next. Talk about how you navigated that tough time in real estate and kind of how that brought you to the position you are today where you're, you're doing really well for the company Stonehill you, that you work for. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, when you're that young, right, it's about getting the right experience and finding mentors and people that are going to give to you. That's a big part of my business now. Um, and, and it was a big part of when I was younger, people, you know, investing in me and see opportunities in me and and kind of grooming me for the business. Um, it, it's it, There's such a challenge back in the great financial crisis where, you know, every day people were losing their homes, you know, the market was completely turned upside down from a stock market perspective, and the real estate market was awful. Um, but I, you know, I worked for Colony Capital, and, you know, we, we had all these failed loans that we were working out of, and you literally see every mistake that somebody's made and how you can learn from it, how you can find opportunities you know, just by, you know, doing the little things like reading documents. Let me, let me stop you right there because I think that I, I kind of very quickly kind of said that you work in real estate. That's such a big umbrella, right? You can do so many different things. I mean, your specific area, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was interested to be like real estate finance. So you're making loans to huge corporations that are, or maybe not huge, but you know, businesses that are buying commercial buildings or commercial real estate. Is that, is that yeah. fair? So, you know, we make loans all over the country, uh, generally, you know, 10 to $100 million loans um, on hotels. And um, over the last 12 months, we've really tried to venture into all asset classes. Um, and so I, I, you know, I originate loans on, on, on all asset classes, also run a division uh, called Stonehill Pace, which does commercial pace um, loans across the country. So when you say see people make mistakes, we always would read about, you know, crappy underwriting and just pu pushing deals through and giving money where it probably shouldn't have been given. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and it always boils down to the character of the person you're lending to. I mean, you know, I've seen, look, you can, you can do analysis by paralysis and you can underwrite a loan all day long and try to prognosticate where the market's going to gonna go and then COVID hits. Or, you never know what's going to happen. Or 9-11 hits, right? Or something happens where, 
you know, there's this black swan event and you can't, you know, whatever you predicted went straight out the window. So when I, when you when you say you worked as an analyst or someone at, at the office works as an analyst, I've never really understood what that means, what that person does. You had that job for a while. What, what, what is, what is the day-to-day function of somebody who, who is an analyst on these types of deals? I think it's, you know, it's really to be the first line of defense in an investment, whether you're making a loan or buying something, right? It's somebody that's, you know, reading the documents, looking at the, at, at the market, you know, studying numbers, trying to figure out where, you know, where cap rates are going, where properties are trading at, you know, uh, where, like I was talking to earlier on the bar, borrower's character, are you reading their, you know, their personal financial situation? Are you Googling them? I mean, you, you'd be surprised at how many people don't Google their borrowers and what comes up when you do. Yeah, you, you think you want to know who you're who you're going to business with, and Google is such a powerful machine that you can find all sorts of. In my law practice, we do that too. Like the defendants, our own clients, put their name into Google. It's not hard. Hit send. Hit enter, I mean. And most people, look, 99% of the time, most people are amazing, right? I mean, our borrowers are our customers, right? And I built an entire career off of building relationships with people that you lend to. But you got to lend to the right people. And that's what you learn through, you know, the downtimes is, is how people react and how people respond. And, you know, do they do what they say they're going to do? And are they, you know, a good person? And, and, and generally, you know, no matter what the asset is, if you lend to somebody that has strong character and, and, and does what they say they're going to do, then you're going to be in a good situation. That's exactly right. Now, hotels, that's your kind of subspecialty these days? That's right. How did you get into that? So the first bridge loan I ever did in, in my entire career was to Petrie Hotel Group. And just by happenstance, by, it was kind of random? Just random. Right. And um, they bought a Holiday Inn downtown Atlanta by the Ferris wheel. They convert it to an AC. And I, I structured this loan and it, it took a million different directions. And they kept calling me and saying, hey, we got to change the structure. And every time I was positive about it, I'm like, all right, let's go figure it out. Because um, I was excited. Right. It's my first loan. And we closed, and I developed a relationship with Greg and Jutton and, and, and Matt and Matul. And, and Matt, you know, ever since I closed that loan, stayed on me and said, hey, you know, you're the right guy. I want you to come work with me. And we just developed this bond. And, and you know, I finally in 2019 went over there to work with them. So does Stonehill specialize in hotels? That's what we do. Okay. All right. Um, we, All right. we, we do loans, you know, generally on, on you know, limited select service hotels. Um, you know, we've been venturing out into, into other asset classes, um, particularly on the pace side, but you know, our bread and butter and where people know us is on the hotel side. So just so I understand this, right. And make sure the listeners understand you were prior to working at Stonehill, you kind of randomly did a deal involving a hotel, got exposure to the Stonehill folks. They recognize you. They met you. They said, "Hey, this the, the people's champ knows what he's doing." That's right. And you you wowed them as we know that you would, and that led to now where you're at. Is that is that me That's fairly right. saying that? You know, I've done twenty of these, like you said, and that story, like every time we talk about business, it just continues to come up and come up and come up. You put yourself in these situations. You do good work. You might not know what the work's going to be, but someone recognizes you, and it leads to the next opportunity. That's that's all it is, right? I tell everybody every day, I heard this from Garth Brooks, attitude and effort. 
It's all we have to give. I thought that was my line. That was, that was Garth Brooks' line. That's what I would tell Graham's 9U fall baseball team. But it's I said, true. All I, all I care about is your attitude and your effort. Maybe I pirated it from Garth Brooks somewhere along the way. Um, or maybe I got it from you. But I completely agree that you can control both of those things. But that's all, that, that's all it takes, right, is, is a good attitude and good effort. And you can figure any deal out. I mean, that, that's a thing where I think we do a good job of is every deal we do because we're a debt fund, right? We're not a bank, so we're more expensive than going to a bank. Um, but we figure deals out. And so, you've got to have somebody that's going to spend the time to, you know, get into the weeds and and solve for a deal that may not be straight down the fairway. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I want you to, under, to explain to me kind of the the steps of a, of a real estate deal, specifically with a hotel. Because I see on LinkedIn, I see, you know, we talk about these, these quote, deals that you've closed and your company closed. I want to talk about the LinkedIn part too, but I don't think I really understand what goes into closing a deal or finding a deal. So, so maybe from soup to nut, start us off from like day one until closing, kind of how that, how that goes. Yeah. I mean, a borrower will, will reach out or a lot of times I'll reach out to a borrower um, and, and, and find an opportunity. Somebody's looking for a loan on their hotel or looking most of the time looking to build a hotel. So this is like a new hotel or Correct. Like, like, like what about like a, like a Hilton or like start another franchise or another? Yeah. I mean, it, it, so in, in the hotel business, new is the best, right? I mean, you, you travel all the time, you know, when you go to a, a random place for one of Graham's games or something like that, you're going to go to the newest, nicest hotel if you can afford it. That's my wife and, wants to stay at for sure. And that's, that's where, um, that's where the value is made in hotels. And that's why, you know, we're a construction lender. And so, you know, if we do our job right and we vet it on the front end and it gets built, you know, we're lending on the newest, shiniest asset in a particular market. And then, you know, we're kind of underwriting to how that market does and what the demand generators are and why this location's good and this location isn't. So you're looking at like how many beds we can put in there, who lives around this area, who travels this area, who's going to need accommodations? Are there competitors? That's what you're looking at. 100%. You know, just the, the common sense things that you can think of when you're, when you're trying to, you know, figure out whether anything is a good investment, right? Um, but with hotels specifically, it's, it's, you know, why is this location work? Who's going to stay there? Um, what's going on in that particular market? There's always a subset of various hotels that, you know, call it other Marriott's or Hilton's, right? If we're going to, you know, be the lender on a, on a new build Marriott and, and how are they doing? Right. And, you know, back to your question on what does an analyst do? Right. Well, if all those, all those different hotels are charging 150 a night and our borrower thinks that they're going to charge 150 a night. We know it works, right? Cause we've got the data there. If all those hotels are charging 150 a night and our borrower thinks that they're going to charge 200 a night, we've got to figure that out. And that's what that analyst does. And that's what we do with the analyst to figure out how to support our loan. Got it. Now, for a while there, you were traveling, and maybe you still do now that COVID is is, is kind of over, we'll call it. Um, 
you were going to Seattle, you're going to San Francisco, you're going to San Diego. Like, All over what, the place. like what, what, what is the traveling aspect of it? Is, it? is it going boots on the ground, supervising construction? Is it meeting with the people about sites? Like, what are you doing when you're going out there? Well, first off, I'm either going to look at a piece of real estate or I'm going to meet with a borrower or I'm going to a conference. Because you're either out there in the market or you're competitors. And the conference is to meet new people that might right. be alone. So if I go meet somebody in person, my hit ratio goes up at least 50 to 60% because you have that in-person interaction. I don't care what somebody tells you about Zoom or Teams or cold calling. That stuff's all well and good. But when you meet somebody face-to-face and you, you go and you walk their property and you hear their story and you take the time to learn what they see, then you're going to do more business. And that's what, you know, it, it, traveling is, is a part of what I do. Um, I probably have like a, a billion sky miles. If anybody on the podcast that's listening wants some sky miles, just hit me up. I'll give them to you. Uh, I'll take I'll some, please. I'll take some. Um, they don't go bad. You can just, you know, take Haley to a nice European vacation soon. She'll be listening. I mean, Haley, someday. ask him to take you to, you know, Italy with all these sky miles. I think we go across the world and back and not use them, but that's okay. But no, I... I think it's you've got to get out right now, and that's that's one of the things that that COVID has created an opportunity for for people who are grinders who want to get out and and meet with people and and make deals happen. It's there for you. You just have to go get it. It is, and and COVID, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about this because you and me both try to be active on social media. There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it, but everybody's got their own kind of style. Uh, I really like your approach to social media. Um, and I always notice what you got going on LinkedIn more so than anything else. I mean, yeah. Twitter, Twitter, you're hilarious on with sports. I don't know if you do much work stuff on Twitter, no but, one. but the real Schloss is a great follow on Twitter for whoever, whoever's looking for somebody that just will just raise hell about all things, Atlanta sports follow the, at the real Schloss. That's hilarious. But, um, but you, you made a strategic decision to start kind of focusing more of your attention on social media while you're while we're all sitting at home. You you have to. So we were sitting there, um, it was probably April twenty twenty, and you know, the world has stopped and we closed a loan. Um, we closed a pace loan. And, you know, I was constantly, I was at home and I was cold calling and calling, you know, contacts and just hearing, what are you guys doing out there? And nobody, you know, nobody was lending at the time. Nobody was doing anything. They were all just waiting to see what would happen. And we got this deal done. And I was like, you know, we need to get, we need to blast this thing out and, and let people know that we're active. And Brent LeBlanc, who is uh, at our company, mentor of mine, says, you got to be a thought leader. Right. His that's big the, thing, the big word his now. big, thought his leader. big, his big preaching on, on LinkedIn is you got to be a thought leader. And he was, he was the king of, of getting these blasts going. And so we just got hot and we kept, we kept closing deals and we kept blasting them out. And then suddenly, you know, through social media, you know, a, everybody started copying us on the, on the, on the pace side, which was pretty funny. Imitation, um, more flattery. which is very flattering, but, but B, you know, people knew that we were active and, and in that time period and still today, it's hard to know who's active. So, I, you know, I was at a conference in Baltimore this week, and I probably ran into 10 or 15 different guys that said, hey, you know, excited to get excited to meet with you guys and see how active you are. Get your blasts. People want to be involved, right? Well, they, well, they, they know that you're for real, 
right? Because you're not just, if you're closing, you know, 30, 40 deals in a year, then people know that you're you're not just some run-of-the-mill lender. You're you're for real. And and that's half the battle when you're you're getting started. I mean, these guys have built an amazing brand. Did a billion dollars last year of originations. Um, but you know, when you're building your brand and people see that you're closing deals and that you're active, they know they're talking to the right guy over there. And that's what that's what I think, you know, when when Brent says be a thought leader, I think that's what you're really trying to be is is you're trying to be the guy at wherever you are to get the main event status. Everything goes back to wrestling. You can take everything back to wrestling. I love it. So when you when you make these posts, are you doing them yourself? Do you have a creative team? Do you have like a social media coordinator that helps? So we've got um, we've got uh, someone at our shop, Bree, who who puts it all together, and then um, we we blast them out our, our, through our. Um, you know, our database. And then, you know, once it goes out, I'll, I'll take it and, and post it myself on LinkedIn and, you know, shout out the team. And you know, that way, you know, everybody's uh, tagged in it and they can reshare it. And, you know, it, it goes out. To the goes. All right. I hope you give me the right answer here. How do you uh, define if the, po- if the post was quote good or if it were, if it was received well? Doesn't matter. We already won. Thank you. Because, I, I, because you're proud of the content that you put out there and, I, and you're proud of what you sent. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I just closed the deal. You know, it's like uh, there's that Bill Belichick documentary where he's yelling at his players for not celebrating after a tackle. It's like if you're going to go through the, the challenges in today's world of, of getting a deal done, if you're not excited about it, then you did a bad deal. So let me tell you why I asked it the way I did. And I appreciate your answer. It's the right answer. Um, my, my kids... Third, Isabel about to be 14, Grand's about to be 11. They're just getting into the social media world. Isabella's got her TikTok stuff, him. Instagram accounts. And, and Graham is starting to learn a little bit. And the question they always talk about is how many followers do you have? How many likes did your post get? How many comments did you get? And they're looking at it way, way, way wrong. That's what I tell them. I say, you really don't want to judge your post by how many likes it gets, right? That's not... The, in my opinion, that's not the barometer of what's good or what's bad. If you're proud of the content that led to the post, if you're proud of what you put out and it's helping somebody that's reading it and you're sharing something that's helpful, like you said, you've already won, right? That's right. And, and the way that I think that, that you answer my question before even, I even asked it was when you go to these conferences, people are talking to you about it. They're asking you about the deals because they saw it on social media and they want to be involved with you. Is that Right. That's right. And, and now they're, they are recognizing you. You're branding yourself in this way, uh, becoming a thought leader, and you just got to get out there and do it. it the, the whole culture that we're creating with social media and likes and, you know, followers and all this nonsense is, is you know, it, it, when you go to work, your clients aren't going to tell you every say, single day, Josh, you did great today. I'm going to like this day. Right. That's good. And it's not yeah. what it is. It's, not, that's it's not the real world. But we all, we all fall trapped to it, right? Like, sure. You know, I, I, I try to post regularly, um, you know, videos that I think, you know, help my law firm and that help people learn more about certain things. And you can't help yourself, but like check it throughout the day to see what kind of feedback you're getting. But I got to remind myself, like, that's not the, the goal. That's not the obvious. That's not why I'm doing it. No. And, and honestly, it's all algorithms anyway. Right. I mean, I read some article that if the best time to post is three o'clock on a Wednesday, 
Well, I mean, who comes up with that? Three o'clock I mean, on Wednesday isn't convenient for me. Eight o'clock on a Tuesday is better. Yeah, that's what I'm going like, to do. It, it, right? It's, <laughs> it, it's like, but that's that's my point is the way they have the social media stuff in there. You could hit a post and it could get X amount of likes one day or X amount of likes the next day just because of the time that you did it. Yeah. So why are you gonna why are you gonna sit there and worry about you know how many views it got or how well it was received? At the end of the day, if you put something out there that, that's positive, then great, right? You should be proud of it, whether, you know, five people like it or 500. 100%. Um, Keep preaching. And, and if you don't, then don't post it. There you go. Right? So so back to the hotel industry and the, the struggles during COVID you mentioned. Like, I, I don't like spending a whole bunch of time on COVID, but it is fascinating to hear how all different industries handled going through it. Like, Overnight, people stopped traveling. People stopped staying in hotels. Like, what? What the hell happened? How? How did y'all get? How did the hotel industry get through it? I mean, through grit. Uh, honestly, we had. I mean, I'll just take us, right? We had our entire loan book go from, you know, essentially performing strong loans to, you know, non-performing because there was no occupants. Right? You couldn't pay cash flow. Um, and, and cash flow is what you pay debt service out of. So our guys had to bootstrap it and, you know, figure out, you know, hundreds of loans to overnight where they had to work with our borrowers and look, our, you know, our guys were, we're in the hotel industry. We were great to our borrowers. Meaning and what? Like giving them some meaning, flexibility with payment, meaning we gave, relief. we gave ample time, six, nine months, Gave people, you know, the ability to to get things up and running again. Um, you know, worked with people. Um, I know that Matt Harper, some of the guys that I work with, just hours on in working to solve problems and not be difficult. And um, you know, I think that our business is flourishing today because of how we treated our borrowers through COVID. Meaning, meaning that your relationship strengthened that much more because now these customers of yours see how you treated them in the hardest of times. That's right. like, we let y- y'all are tight now, right? That's right. Take but in, in terms of the COVID and the hotel industry, I mean, you know, we had, it, it was amazing. We had like GMs at some of the hotels that we own that were working like five different jobs, right? Cleaning, rooms and doing all these things because you know they had to to make it work and i mean some of these these people were extraordinary um and it's a testament things are going so well now and if anybody deserves it's those people i mean they they grinded through that um you know and, and something that's completely outside of your control right do you think and you can take this question any other any any way you want but do you think the hotel industry do you think the real estate finance industry has made adjustments because of what y'all learned in COVID that will now make your processes much more streamlined moving forward? It's hard to say because I think that the great financial crisis caused a lot of that. And you saw it through COVID that, you know, a lot of these deals were well underwritten, right? And, and that changed the great financial crisis changed how people underwrote real estate, how they underwrote, um, you know, hotels. Uh, What this does moving forward, it probably makes you rethink some things that you used to, you know, pre-COVID think were, um, you know, like I'll give you an example. Resorts were something that you really stayed away from, 
right? Because you're underwriting a food and beverage component that, you know, is effectively like underwriting an operating business, right? How do you underwrite how many people are going to go to your hotel and spend 150 bucks on booze? And that's a a real challenge to underwrite. Um, But resorts killed it through this. I mean, we had a hotel um, at the beach that, you know, was 90 something percent occupied all the way through COVID because people couldn't wait to get away. To get away. And so it, it, it changed how you viewed certain, you know, call it subclasses of, of real estate within even the hotel sector. Um, I think that that probably, you know, it, th- those type of assets probably, you know, are, are, are more valued today and moving forward than they were pre-COVID. It's awesome. Well, st- you know, ride the wave, right? Like figure out what's hot, learn from it and, and be right there, which I know that you will. The other thing that y'all are doing that's really cool is getting into some legislative stuff, right? Like y'all have got some, some clean energy deals um, that you're looking to, to, I mean, you, you tell me, you, you explain it better than me, but I know that, that that's something that you've been working a lot on now. Yeah, so these guys uh, allowed me to help start and run a division of Stonehill called uh, Stonehill Pace. And what does Pace it, stand for? It, it, property assess clean energy. So we effectively across the country can give um, loans uh, on line items in construction or value add uh, budgets that um, make the property more energy efficient. So your roof, your elevator, HVAC, plumbing. And you can repay it back through your property taxes. Let me stop you right there. So when you say clean energy, tell me what you mean by that. These are line items that, you know, reduce your overall energy or um, make the property more energy efficient. Um, You know, also like in California, it's anything that's seismic related. So, you know, let's say you got a 1910 building that you've got to upgrade so that it can withstand an earthquake. That's all PACE eligible. Um, and so, so what these we are do, environmental friendly approaches to construction projects? That's right. Is that it's, a fair way of saying it, it? It's the GOAT ESG product. I don't know if you ever covered no. ESG. No, what is that? Environmental, social, corporate governance. It's like the, the hottest thing in the finance world. You said um, you said the goat like the greatest of all it, time. It is okay. So the, so this is the greatest ESG stands for. I probably should know this. It, so environmental, so, social, corporate governance. Basically, corporations and, and companies all over the world are trying to be more environmentally friendly, sure. social friendly. Um, you know, do right by their investors outside of just trying to make a profit. Got it. Well, this is a loan that, you know, it, it, it's the E, right? It's environmental. You're, you know, trying to reduce carbon emissions and trying to reduce, um, you know, energy consumption, these product properties. And this is a very, because it's through property taxes, it's a very safe investment. So this, uh-huh. is this something that, that you kind of brought to Stonehill or you were getting off the ground at Stonehill? Like, what is your role in all this? They, these guys had the, the idea um, and they had kind of the foundation in place. They just needed somebody to, to grind through to help really grow it. And, is that where, you? And where we, um, where we really grew the, the business was during COVID. Um, you know, you could do these kind of as rescue capital. And it was just a, a cheaper way to incentivize your borrowers. Hey, you know, I, I know you've got this hotel that's struggling right now. We can go give you a PACE loan and, and free up some equity in your project. Very smart. That's very smart. And, and speaking of social media, 
I, I mean, I remember, and you sent it to us also just in a text, but you, you down at the, the Capitol with the governor and with other high ranking, you know, government officials. Tell us about that. Like, are you explaining to them, like, this is an option for Georgia. This is something that you said California is doing. Like, like where, where's that yeah. at? So we do this in 30 states across country. Your company already does. But Georgia does not have enabled legislation to do this. So, you know, Tennessee just passed legislation. Florida has legislation. There's currently bills um, in North Carolina, South Carolina. And so we want to bring it to Georgia. So, you know, we're working with a lobbyist and, you know, trying to educate people, um, you know, legislators and the governor's office about what this is and why it's important for Georgia. And, you know, we do this not only in, in metro areas, but we do this in rural areas and where it can really help in Georgia is, um, you know, you can do this with the USDA and do USDA loans with PACE and you can build projects across rural Georgia that otherwise wouldn't pencil if you tried to build them. Without so- sounds to me like, I mean, no brainer might be a strong word, but sounds like it's a win-win for everybody involved. So is it, is it is a matter of just kind of educating the right people about this is an option? It is because it, it's it, it's repaid through your property taxes. And so there's a lot of misconceptions with that. And it just takes educating people and, and you know, walking them through, you know, that they you have lenders have to consent to it and things like that. Um, but it's a, you know, it, it should be a win-win for, you know, regardless of your political affiliation, right? It's good for developers and it's good for environmentalists. It's both sides. I imagine the first question you get is, well, is it going to raise my taxes? It, 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 it doesn't, it's a private loan, right? So it's, I'm just giving you a loan, you're repaying it through your property taxes. So, so that- it doesn't raise, it raises your property taxes, by something you would otherwise be paying debt service. Right. And so that's the part of it you have to educate folks on. Um, so talk about that day down at the Capitol. Like, what were you doing? Who'd you talk with? Like, that's that's a pretty cool experience to I have. I threw on a suit and tie, and um, me and my buddy Josh, um, other Josh, um, went and met with a bunch of different um, legislators and, and key people um, at the Capitol and, you know, just – tried to get the, the word out there of what we're doing and, and why we're doing it and why it's good for Georgia. And, you know, my, my hope is it's usually a, a two um, session process. That's what I, was say. I mean, so the date we're, we're mid April, the session um, general assembly, I think just concluded. Right. That's right. And so the idea um, you have a house bill that's presented, they read, you know, it gets written, it goes, the, and then hopefully by next year, It'll be educated enough to get voted on and passed. Is that that's the goal? right? We're we're going to spend the summer educating groups um, and, and and working on the bill. And come you know end of the year, uh, we'll we'll present the bill in, in its best form and and hopefully get you know a unanimous or near unanimous approval. Um, cause I think it's, it's good. Sounds for, like it should be. Well, do me a favor. Send me maybe the, the link for that bill. Um, does it have a number house bill 14, 14, 13. Okay. Send me that link. I'll put it in the comment section so people can read it. Um, it's fascinating to, to, to kind of see and good it's for you weird, all. man. I never thought I'd be a lobbyist, but, um, you know, it's important to me, right? I, you, you, you said earlier, you're always traveling. Well, why am I flying to California to do something I could do in my own backyard? And is that the idea that California takes advantage of this and so it makes it a good a good place to do this kind of work? So why don't we do it in Georgia? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it's not just California, right? Because California has its own 
stigma with that. It, it's Florida, it's Kentucky, you know, it's it's red states, it's blue states. You're you're allowing a de- developer to get a private loan through their property taxes for taking advantage of you know building an energy efficient building, right? There's no there's there should be no party affiliation with that. It should be hey, if a guy wants to do this, why not let him do it? I love it. I love it. Well, keep working on it, and hopefully, we'll have you back. 12 months from now and you can talk about, you know, that it's passed and it's, it's great stuff. So, uh, I, I teased of course that, that you're a huge sports fan, huge Atlanta sports fan and you are. So I want to give plenty of time to talk about that. Is there anything else about kind of your business, about Stonehill, about what you you're doing now that we didn't, I mean, we, we went through it very fast, of course, but any other high points that you, you want to make sure we discuss? No, I mean, it, look, it's, it's been a phenomenal experience for me and, um, you know, we're, we're grateful for our borrowers and, and grateful for, you know, the people that allow us to do what we do every day. Um, and, you know, I, I expect big things for us um, over the coming year. So just appreciate getting to talk about it. The people's champ is coming for you. Well, what I'm doing is I'm pouring a fresh bourbon drink to get yeah, ready. Yeah, talk about to, dog sports. Um, to get, to get ready for all crap. this. I, um, I wore my Falcons hat, which – I don't think I've worn since they were in the Super Bowl, however many years ago, because there'd been no reason to wear it. But I wore it to really stoke your 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 passion oh, and your man. flame because nothing nothing gets you fired up more than talking about just the Falcons and and just their ridiculousness as a franchise. So uh, <laughs> that's why that's why I wore that hat. It's NFL Draft Week. Um, the Falcons always seem to blow up, you know, blow the draft. I mean, you can go back and look at all their picks going back how long. And it's like, they only, you know, Matt Ryan was a good pick, uh, you know, top five, but they, they never seem to get it right. Um, I was looking at the, uh, the kind of the mock draft. Everybody's got a mock draft now. Everybody. Um, Everybody's Mel Kiper. It's such a crappy draft class. It's so bad. But look, let's, again, like we started the podcast, let's focus on the positives. This is the greatest Outside of winning the national championship in January 10th, 2022, and whenever we, whatever day we won it, 1980. It's the third greatest day for UGA in the history of football. Because of it's, it's how a, many dogs it's, it's going to be a, Thursday night is going to be a three-and-a-half-hour infomercial on how awesome Kirby Smart is. As it should be. And when, let me back up and say, when I say a crappy draft class, I don't mean that in the sense that the, all the folks no, are in the there's it, no, it, There's no top end. There's no big quarterback coming out. The top, you know, there's no walk away number one draft pick. That's, you know, that's what I mean. But it, the, 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 the talent from UGA coming in here is going to be awesome. If you asked your listeners to name five people in this draft class, I'm not sure that many people could, even outside of, of, of UGA. Five non UGA players. Five non UGA people. I I, honestly, if I didn't prepare for this, I would have struggled to do so too. But I think the funniest part, right? Like I think of this draft, you have the tale of two cities, right? As a, as a UGA fan, it's as high as we're ever going to be. It just is. You, you just won a national championship. You know, Kirby Smart's going to Vegas. He's going to put his tie on and he's going to just rep. Yep. Right, and I think they could. They're, they're absolutely going to have four guys selected. I think Pickens will be taken in the first round, so I think they'll get five. I might be crazy, but guys at his size that run a four-five generally don't go to the second round. 
If yeah, I mean, so I think so. The four obviously Trayvon Walker, who very well might be number one. I've seen that several places. I think that he doesn't drop out of the top five, which is amazing. Jordan Davis, top fifteen. Yeah, eight. It to me, does that guy not just look like a Baltimore Raven? He does. He does. Like Tony like, Saragusa. Like he's just all those he, guys. Yeah, I could just see him in the Ravens. It's so funny because I could see him in a Ravens uniform. And I could see Nicobe Dean is 100% going to the Patriots. Or the Bears. Either yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Either yeah, way. Yeah, because it's, it's just like it, I could see that, um, you know, why it will be taken. Um, Scene might come in the end of the first round or very top of the second. I mean, think about this. You, you're going to have four first-round players off of George's defense taken. Yeah. It's insane. It's crazy. And, and, you know, what that speaks to is a couple things. Um, national championship teams are formed by the players that are at an elite level. Kirby is recruiting them at elite level, and he's also building them up and developing them. What else, what else could somebody want when they're when I mean, they're the, the knock on Kirby was always, oh, he doesn't develop players. Well, Jordan Davis was a three-star out of Charlotte and, and will be a top 15 pick. Um, you know, not all the guys on here. Walker – and Dean were highly recruited, right? They were five-star players. But Devontae Wyatt was not a, a, a five-star player. Um, and, and when you go up and down this list, right, like, you know, Lewis Seen had, you know, we were excited about him coming out of high school, but I didn't think he would be, you know, picked in the top three rounds in, in, in the NFL or even leave early. Yeah. So, I, you know, it, they're bringing in talent, but they're also developing talent. It's amazing. So it's all said and done. Uh, I think George is going to have what 12, 13, maybe 14 players drafted. It's crazy. The I looked this up today. Do you know the most players ever drafted from one school in one draft? It's got to be like Alabama from a couple years ago. So close. Alabama has got the next record I'm going to ask you, but LSU 2020 had 14. That's right. That's and, right. and, you know, that was when LSU won that championship game. So it's, And it's, beat us to death. They were great. In, so in it's, it's, not, it's not like a fluke that these teams that win, you know, they've got, they've, they've got the best players. The Alabama um, trivia question is the most players drafted in the first round from one school. It was Bama 2021. And then Miami, 2004. Look, there's a chance dogs get six. I mean, I think four is the lock. You throw Pickens, what you just said. You throw Scene in there. There you go. I mean, it's going to be the greatest infomercial. So, tale of two cities, right? You've got UGA on top of the mountain. Then back to your original question. Falcons. The Falcons. At number eight. First off. Can we just talk about – can we bring some context here? I'm going to rant for a second. Hey, the mic is yours, man. You have, you're have you coming off the greatest 12 months in the history of Atlanta sports. Dogs won a national championship. Braves won a World Series. The Hawks, of all teams, the Hawks made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you've got the Falcons. I think that if, you're, if you could take your Josh Stein power – of, of taking this this podcast and all your listeners, you should do what you can to move the Falcons to London. You've said that before. You want them in London. I'm telling you. Do, look, do, you, want, do you want Blank to go too? Or I, everybody. You, everybody. Just it, look, I, I think that if you – every year some poor team and their fan base has to fly across the pond, go to London – have a 9 a.m. game, which nobody watches, and it's terrible. And everything about that entire context 
is the Atlanta Falcons. They're perfect. <laughs> and they're they can even, dude, dude, even like Arthur could set up like $3 fish and chips and $2 pints. They're well below market. So at least they're, you know, at least you've got really good concession stands to go to your London team. So I was going to ask, one of my questions was, if you were the GM for a day, what would you do? But it sounds like you would be like, to hell, I'm leaving. We're, we're, mo- we're moving across the Dude, pond. I just did 30 minutes on Stonehill. You think I'm leaving that job for this one? <laughs> no chance. You're very, like, happy. G- You're very happy where you are, huh? What? Falcons have to be, if not the worst franchise in sports, they've got to be top, bottom, f- I guess I say bottom five. Um, but you know what's funny about that, Jared? Is you still watch them every Sunday? I do. You still watch them every Sunday, and you're the last one of us that do. There's a, there's a text chain. Me, your dad, my dad, Ben, Matt Anderson, um, five. That's the five of us, right? Yeah. And you know, it's Sunday afternoon, and the Falcons blew it, and you're the only one that knows Dude. because you're the only one watching. All of us are finding it out later in the day. Come on, I'm actually, on. my dad still watches. He 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 still watches it. Nobody nobody responds because nobody's watching it. My dad does watch. He does. It, it, it is. I don't. Ben doesn't watch because I can't I I can't take something that I know what the result is going to be. Um, and do it, but God bless you. But it, they're it's because uh, every week I'm like I'm amazed at how bad they are. It's but a what do they rate. what do they do right? So they, you know, they went out and they they had every need in the world and they selected a tight end. And, and you can argue, dude was a Pro Bowler last year, but they have much bigger needs than a tight end. Well, now all they have is a tight end. All they have is a tight end. That's literally they have a fifty-three man roster with one position spoken for. Uh, Grady Jarrett's pretty good. So, so, so what, what are they going to do at eight? eight? What are they going to do at eight? I, I, I feel like they're going to draft a Florida punter. <laughs> I think that's how bad. I think they're they going to draft a Big Ten like guard. It, it's like you look at these mock drafts, like oh, we're going to take a wide receiver from Ohio State. Like, how many buzzes? We went through Michael Jenkins. We've done that. Like, we've we've seen this movie before. Yeah. Like, guy will be terrible, right? I've Are, seen wide receiver from Iowa State. I've seen Jameson Winston from Bama. I've seen a D-tackle from FSU. The one thing I haven't seen, thank God, is one of these quarterbacks. We're not taking a quarterback. What would you do if they take Kenny Pickett at eight? I'd... I, I'd probably go to the the stadium and start picketing. Start. I'd start their move to London. <laughs> start picketing I would start for backing picket. for them. They're not. They're not going to take a quarterback because I. They look. The reason why this draft is so awful and why it's going to be so non entertaining for every non UGA fan is there's not a star quarterback in the draft. There's not a star running back in the draft, and the Falcons are desperately in need of a star quarterback and a star running back. And we just traded Matt Ryan for a bag of donuts. For nothing. For nothing. nothing. Apparently, we, we, quote, did him a solid. And, and we didn't even go to, like, Marietta Donuts or one of these, like, fancy donuts. We straight, we straight sold him for Dunkin'. I was thinking, like, for Publix Donuts. I like Publix, but they're not even Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, Publix would be a delicacy compared to the Dunkins that we just traded. We, we got, like, the end of the night, like, the, 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 you know, whatever white powdered donuts that they just fill it in when they're out of donuts. That's how bad that trade was. Pretty bad. Um, the GM, uh, Fontenot, we'll give him a chance to make over the roster. Dimitrioff committed GM malpractice, if you ask me. I, but there's not it look, I, I don't I haven't studied the history of like the greatest GMs in sports, but John Sherholtz of football couldn't go out and save this Falcons team. Their their cap situation, the roster, I mean, 
I they're they're probably averaging one good player a draft for the last decade. How do you win with that? And we made it to a Super Bowl, and then we just we haven't done anything since we choked that second half. Yeah, well, we're not talking about that anymore. But um, you know, to have Matt Ryan come through here with Julio Jones, you had your chance to win the Super Bowl, which would have validated all their careers, right? You hold on, and, and then they're they're great. But as it stands, it's like you kind of wasted the arguably the two best players in franchise history. It's crazy to me. And that's the part, you know, people don't study the history of the Falcons. They did not have back-to-back winning seasons till just under a decade ago. And that was Matt Ryan, right? And look, Matt Ryan hasn't been good in the last few years. We should have cut bait three years ago and done this. Even at last year, right, you had an early pick where you could have had fields, you could have had, you know, however many quarterbacks were taken after four, um, my guess but, is they're going to take a quarterback and you're going to lose your mind. So, so back to the Twitter stuff, do you have your, like, tell me, tell me your active Twitter usage. Like you're watching the game. Is it your phone? Is it your laptop? You just, things come in your head. You just bang it out. Like, like walk us through it. I, you know, I, I think it's, it, I've gotten at this point where I only really do it when I get super frustrated. A couple years ago, you're doing it a lot. Yeah, which is it, hilarious it, to me. Kid, dude, babies, you, babies slow you down. Babies have slowed you down. Baby slows down your social media. It does, man. It well, does that it to you. Put but it, I know I put need to put Dylan down I for a to, nap from one to four. Get back I, I need it. to be more active and angry. But I, I do during the fall, right when when the Falcons are on. I just go into angry mode because that's all you could do, right? And you won't respond to my text because you're not watching it. I got, I'm on my, my, like all my buddies. Uh, I think it's like 14 of us on an ATL listserv or whatever. They don't respond to it because they're not watching it. So, and my Twitter family, that's the only people that'll respond to me. But I was so happy for all of us, especially you with, with Georgia finally winning, the Braves finally winning. It just gives validation to all the misery we've dealt with for all these years. Talk about your emotions going through both of those championships. I mean, I the Georgia thing was surreal because I was there. Um, I had the privilege to go. Um, I went actually with with Matt and 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 Greg and and some of the guys I work with, and it was insane. Um, I never thought that day would actually happen, and to happen and also happen against Bama, just given the torment. Right. I was in the stadium for like, 2012. Like me, you've been to all the games beforehand. I was in the stadium for 2017. Um, you name it. I was there. I was even there. And and people get mad at me when I say this. The worst Bama loss was the one, I think it was like, was it Rick's last year where um, Der- it was like pouring down rain and Derrick Henry ran for like 780 yards against us. And we were, we were, I think we were like a top five team and we had like game day there. We were so hype. We just, that was a, that was the game, uh, right before was South Carolina where, uh, what was that dude? Grayson Lambert. Oh God. He went like 26, 26 and He's like the perfect savior. game. He's the and like, we were like, oh, we're the greatest team ever. And Derrick Henry ran for 35 carries for 765 yards and and just like i think he had 15 touchdowns he won the heisman off of that game alone you remember this game pretty good worse than that that was the worst loss like yeah we lost in 2017 it was brutal but we we actually made it to the dance right that that so that that proved our fan base that we could get there um 
but there was no loss. It, it, that feeling of of finally over you know overtaking that monster and winning the championship. She's nothing better. And I'm enjoying, like I said, enjoying these drinks right now, commemorating it. The other thing that I, I will always remember is right before the World Series, we got a text message from you with an itinerary from Delta, Atlanta to Houston. That's right. And I'm like, oh, damn. I'm like, is my man going? 100%. And I called you, and you're like, look, I don't know if it was a client or some at work, sent an email out and is like, if you can get to Houston, we're going to get tickets. And you're like, don't say this more than once because – I'm in. I'm booking a flight right now. It was before Game Six of the World uh, of the NLCS. Okay, I couldn't remember and, which and, one it was. And our one of our clients at Houston already clinched. Right, they clinched early. I think their game, their their series was up in five games or something like that. Um, and so it, it was. It was like into that weekend they'd sent something out like, "Hey guys, not sure if you guys will make it past the Dodgers, but if you do, we're we've got a whole box for you know game uh, game two. And I booked my flight. You're like Haley. I'm in. Sorry, I'm going. I, this is going. This is happening. And I, I let everybody know we're we're going to beat the Dodgers. It was just we were a team of destiny, and we were winning a championship. And and it didn't matter. You know, they could have brought out the old, you know, 1920 Yankees. So we were going to win no matter what. And, and, and that was, you know, sometimes teams catch fire and, and that's how it was. We, we've never been on that receiving end of that, right? We're usually the ones get beat by those teams, but this time it was our time. And it was, it was incredible, man. I mean, Houston, it, it's so funny because people dogged for years and years on, on Braves fans. But I went to game two and game three. And right, game two in Houston, they're a bunch of cheaters. We all hate them. You know, it, th- but they, there was no scene there. It's just like walking into a regular old baseball game. Yeah. I've right? talked a lot of people. been there and like, it was like, okay, cool. And, and, and they won that game. It was pretty brutal. But I came back for game three and the battery blowing up. You know, give the Braves a lot of credit, right? Like the day that that was announced, the haters came from the Twitter world, from, you know, every sports journalist in the world. These guys are moving out of Atlanta. And and the battery for game three was the most lit place I've ever been to. And the entire series, right? I, I mean, they got that thing so right. Anybody that, as of now, is still dogging the idea of the battery has a huge dump in their pants, and I don't want to talk to them. Like, there's nothing not good about it. Period. End of story. It's awesome. The World Series is amazing. The whole playoffs are amazing. I can't wait to go back to the games this year. Like, battery for the win, if you ask me. It's, it, it is. It's such a fun experience. I can go, you know, when my kids get a little bit older and I can take them to games, I can go get a bite to eat before the game and not have to cook it myself on my homemade grill outside the stadium. Like it, there's just nothing better than that place. And, and, and I'm so happy for them as a, as a franchise cause they did it right, dude. I mean, they absolutely did it right. That was homegrown talent that they believed in. And, you know, is there a bitter, bigger, you know, more awesome guy in sports than Alex Anthopoulos? He's the man. Hey, is the man. All right. We got to do some WWF. I call it WWF. Can we still say that, or do you have to say WWE? I mean, it doesn't matter. Mama right? called F. I call it F. That's right. Okay. I don't know where to start with this. I could go so many different directions. 
I mean, you ever, we are, how, how, what's our age difference? How old are you? So I'm, I, I, I struggle with it every day, but I'm you were born 84 today, or 37. You're born 84. See, I can't tell you if I'm okay, 36 so we're or 37. Five years apart. Um, ever since I can remember you, me, Ben, we're, we're, we grew up watching wrestling. Like, like when did we first get into it? Do you even remember or how did you start it? Dude. So I started watching wrestling when I was like two or three because they play Jay. No, 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 no. So our, our housekeeper, Mamie watched it. <laughs> And so she, she watched it. <laughs> that's how that's how I got into it. She loved it, man. She loved it. I don't think I knew that. <laughs> and so she would put it on and like she was keeping me, right? So like you're supposed to watch cartoons or whatever. <laughs> Which is, is even funnier now that I have a four-year-old. Because, like, my four-year-old, right? Like, she watches, like, you know, Coco Melon and, and, and Disney. But here I was at three years old. Mamie, Mamie would put me up, and she would, she would put on Saturday Night's Main Event. And that's, that's how amazing. I figured out who Hulk Hogan was. Who was your first, like, who was your first wrestler that you were into? I mean, I loved The Ultimate Warrior. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think who else back then, man. I mean, oh, I was, uh, <laughs> leave it to wrestling. It's so damn funny. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll reach that hurts. That does hurt. I don't know where, I don't know where to, where to start. Holy shit. I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to laugh again. <laughs> it's going to. Oh, God. Oh, man. My ribs hurt. That's too good. That's too good. We were, um, we were trying to stay on task here. But we, as WWF often does, it gets you going. You were mentioning how you were introduced early, early, early on. Um, two, three years old, Ultimate Warrior. I always remember you talking about Ultimate Warrior. I mean, you know, Hogan was great. I, I got into uh, Bret Hart early on. Hitman was always your favorite. Hitman was always my favorite, dude. And he should be. The like the only thing that I'm proud. Right? The only thing I'm proud of now is like a, a, an an adult is looking back on it. That dude's still the best. He like his still, stuff, yeah, he's I mean, still playing alive, the game. Dead wrestlers, but, but his his stuff holds up to this day. Um, whereas you go back, like you know, if you're one of those Hulk Hogan kids, right? You go watch like a 1980s Hulk Hogan match is terrible. Yeah, I mean, Hitman, excellence of execution. He was a technician. He so wasn't the good. he wasn't the biggest guy. No, but that's why we liked him. Like he sold. He made you feel like he was getting beat up. And his brother. Was Davy Boy Smith, right? The British Bulldog? Brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Okay. Because the Hearts, um, no, it was Owen Hart. Yeah, Owen Hart is his brother. That's right. That's right. Because the Hart family, they've got lineage. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, we used to get all those WrestleMania pay-per-view events, right? All of them. We watched Monday, Monday Night Raw. There's <clears> nothing, <throat> like, dude, you want to sell a bag of nostalgia? There's nothing better than, like, Domino's guy showing up at the door, pay-per-view on. Can you, like, can you imagine... If we had like cell phones back then, 
and we're texting back and forth during Raw or Nitro, wherever it was. It wouldn't be as good because these Melvins would be on Twitter ruining all of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's what, that's what happened. I mean, do you still watch it now? No. I can't. I mean, now you're now Sadie, you have her into it with the older, the older guys. Yeah, so Sadie has all of my – I still kept all of my wrestling figures. You had collection. all the gear. You had all the paraphernalia. Like what? And she has it all. Like what? Like what kind of stuff she has? So have? she has like toys. She has clothes. We have a wrestling book that we read before we go to bed that she thinks hilarious. I actually read her to her tonight before I got here. You send me, you send, you send us videos of you reading wrestling books to Sadie when she's going to bed. She thinks it's hilarious. I miss, it's not like good night, my sweetheart books or, you know, no, brown thinks, cow. It's like, we're, we're reading about wrestling. No, if you go up to Sadie and you say, you know, what does Ric Flair say? She's like, woo, right, right in your face. And she's got no, no qualms about it. What are some of your best impersonations you can do? Man, I don't on the, know. I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, you can do a macho man, can't you? I mean, you could do, oh, yeah. Like, I could, I, I could sit here and, and quote Ric Flair all day. Well, let's hear a few. Um, man, I'm embarrassed myself in front of all these people I don't even know. Um, Everybody loves a good with, Ric Flair. With a tear in my eye. <laughs> Always good. This is the greatest night of my life. Ric Flair is such a showman, right? He's so good. Hogan. So good. They don't they don't make him like that anymore. Like I feel I feel like when, if if you if you pull up WrestleMania today, they'll bring him back The Rock or they'll bring him back Stone Cold. Like they don't have those guys anymore, dude. Because they they went all like um, whatever it is, you know. They, they they went from it just being like a couple old dudes who just got wrestling to having like 30 guys who write like production stuff like Disney guys. Yeah. And, and it doesn't it doesn't work. And it's not good. So to your point about about Twitter and just information being out there. So Graham got into it for a minute last year. Like I, I didn't really introduce him to it, but someone did. And he's like, hey, let's start watching the week. We got a few of the, the pay-per-views. And he was he was actually into like John Cena's walk-up song or theme music was like his walk-up song in baseball for a little while. And we watched it, but he got exposed to like the truth behind it, that it was kind of a, an act and it was fake. And we didn't, maybe we knew it, but didn't want to know it. But like now they have so much more information. He's like, eh, this is kind of lame. And he kind of moved on from it. Could you, could you name who the champion is right now? I think it's either Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar, but I couldn't tell you which one it is. It's Roman Reigns. Um, the U.S. champion is somebody by, by the name of Finn Balor. Ever heard of that person? No. So Lawrence, who who you know, all loves wrestling, and me, you, and him, and, and Robert Yanella on a text to come up when a wrestler dies. You know, we talked yeah. about it. I, I texted Lawrence today, and I said, so someone named Finn Balor is the current U.S. champion. He writes back. He has great theme music. He's a little fella. I was on a plane with him one time. Like, how the hell do you know these things? Like, I, I've never heard of Finn Balor. Maybe Lawrence still watches it. Dude, Rick, Rick Lawrence Blair's, must be into it. Rick Flair's um, daughter Charlotte, amazing. Yeah, she. That's the, so. The irony is that like when we watched it back in the day, like they would have like one woman's match a game or, or, or whatever a pay per view, and it like wasn't a thing. Now the women are better than the men. Yeah, like yeah. wait, and it's not even close. Like Charlotte Flair is better than anybody on the roster. Not saying I watch it because I don't, but I've seen enough to be dangerous, and I'm telling you, like. The women are way better than the men, and they they should just embrace that. Yeah, well, they definitely get half the airtime, um, and they do half of the the main event. They split up now. Um, Undertaker's always my favorite. I loved him and Paul Bear. I loved everything about it. Um, 
you know, he's, he wrestled not too long ago. He's still around. Dude, Sadie loves The Undertaker, too. How can you not? All right, I'm going to play a game with you. Um, I'm going to play a wrestler's theme music when they walk into the ring. You're going to know all these. These are, the, these are easy ones to do. But I want to see, like, name that tune. Like, how quickly can you, can you nail it? Oh, God. Can you do this, you think? Putting you on the spot again. All right, first one. Stone Cold. So that was the glass, with it like the glass. That was, I mean, these are not going to be hard. I just want to see how quickly you can do it. Stone Cold, you got that one right. This is, might be the easiest of them all, but it's just so good. Hulk Hogan. I still listen to this song when I, I work did too. Out. I did. Too. I got no shame. Is there anything? There's nothing wrong with this song. I, it's a great song. Fight for what? I get super soul with this song. I, I think it's great. It's held up all these years. It's still good. It's still good. All right, here's a good one. Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. I mean, that. come on. I think you could do this like regular music, and I would still do this. This is a great one, too. It's a great song. All right, this is. A, I'm, I'm telling you, they're not going to be hard. I just want to see how quick you can get them. Uh, Bret Hart. God bless them. Hitman, if you're out there somewhere, I love you. What's amazing is that they kept these songs their whole career. Like they don't, they, they never deviated from Because they never had to, because they were so good. All right, here we go. Oh, Ultimate Warrior. I think Th- this was Ben's favorite, wasn't it? Dude, this this song literally made that guy's career. If, if, if this song doesn't get produced, he is not the Ultimate Warrior. He's running down the, <coughs> and, the tunnel right now into like the ring. That, that is what made him what he is. It's, it, and that's part of like, you got to get the music right, man. Gotta I mean, that, that right. Undertaker theme hits, dude. And it's like. You mean this one? Oh. Classic. It's like, I could be anywhere. I could be in the middle of work, like in the middle of work call. And like, you could play this song and I'd be like, oh my God, dude. Listen to that. Got to go fight somebody now. Six, eight, 300 pounds. Just. Death. So good, dude. And Paul Bear. I mean, the greatest manager of all time. All right, this is a tough one. Come on. Is this like John Cena or something like that? Hold on. Oh no, this is uh, Y2J. Yeah, it's Chris Jericho. Even the Y2J, solid. All right, let's keep going. Got a few more of these. I didn't know this one. I don't know this one. Randy Orton. Well, yeah. No, 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 no. That, that, so that's Randy. That, that was obviously Randy Orton's pre-one. His, his new theme is pretty good. Uh, well, I, I can't speak I to that. I, I don't like, really watch it, but I've heard like like it'll come up every now and then. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's a good song. All right. This one is just so classic. Oh, dude. Macho Man. It lived a bit... <laughs> Did she have run walk up Elizabeth, song? Elizabeth, I love you. Did she have run walk up song, Elizabeth? Because she, she used his. She never owned. No. I, I, God, I'm watching Macho Man now. He's just so good. All right, this one's talking about Graham's walk up song, which I thought was a great, a great walk up song. It's pretty good. Right here, when it drops. Dun dun dun. Nah. Here we go. Dun, dun. 
That's that, great too. That is great. That's great too. Okay, and then the grand finale. Dude, he's so good. I met him at a <laughs> Gorin's. You remember Gorin's? Yeah, of course I remember I met Gorin's. him at Gorin's in Windy Hill. My dad. I worked out over there by your dad's office. Yeah, it was across the street from my dad's office. And we, we went to Gorn's one day when I was like at work with him and Ric Flair was just standing there and we talked to him for like 15 minutes. Nicest dude ever. So the best part of Ric Flair is he's, he's like when Georgia is winning championships, he's at Georgia. When Alabama's winning it, he's at Alabama. When it's, you know, whoever, like he's always there. He's always right there with he the He went team. full heel on Georgia because he got mad at Kirby about something, and he was, like, repping Michigan for the Michigan-Georgia. Michigan, yeah. And well, I honestly think that's probably why we beat him so badly, outside of the fact that Aiden Hutchinson's overrated. Flair is an American treasure. I can read stories about Ric Flair, Andre the Giant, all those guys. You listened to podcasts forever, didn't you? Like, what was your favorite, like, one of those guys' stories you took away from a wrestling podcast? Oh, they're all so good, dude. That dude, uh, um, Conrad Thompson or whatever, does podcasts, and every single one of them, right? Like, you know, uh, Jim Ross's podcast, incredible. Uh, Bruce Pritchard's the guy that, like, wrote all of old school WWF. His podcast is amazing. So like, good. He has, like, a four-hour podcast on Dusty Roads. So and you're just sitting there, you know, particularly when you're going across country, like, I can't focus on anything on, on like, a, you know, I can't sleep on planes, so you take a red eye back. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, I'll listen to, like, a four-hour podcast on Dusty Roads. It's like... It, 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 it's just fully entertaining. So good. every match, the inside behind it, why this worked, why that didn't work. I mean, it's you know, it, it's part of unveiling the curtain. But I think that's what's made it really cool. Like now that we're older, so good. All of it's so good. Well, dude, all of it, this dude. this could not have been more fun. We hit, I think, all the highlights. Um, I don't know. There's, I mean, we could we could talk about wrestling. We could go on. We need to do this again. Maybe just do a wrestling podcast, or just a Georgia podcast, or just a Falcons podcast, or just a Stonehill podcast, or just a Mamie podcast, or just a Mamie podcast. All of it is too good. Well, listen. Uh, shout out to your sister. You know, Jamie. We need to get her on here. To talk about and you know, Matt. Everybody. Your mom. Your dad. It's just. It's. It's too good. Um, anything else that. You want to throw in there another another minute or two, or we'll just save it for the next time we get together. No, I mean hopefully we get uh, you know enough reception here where we get back on. Right, it. that's what we're trying to do is just get main event status. Get main event status. coming for I'm, you, Larry. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, man, thanks so much for being here today. Hope you guys enjoyed this. This is one of the more fun podcasts that that I've done. Uh, laughed a lot, reminiscent a lot. It's just it's just so good. So if y'all listened and enjoyed it, well, if you're here this, you're definitely listening. But you know what I mean. Please tell a friend. Uh, hit that subscribe button, right? And um, until next time, keep chopping. <laughs>